yeah, you start out small, but you get used to that pattern of rationalization, you know, part of the fraud triangle where you start to believe it's okay, it's just a little bit and these people can afford it and it becomes just part of your life. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time joining us, I just want to take a minute and welcome you to our Kelly family and just let you know that we exist to help you grow within your own leadership. So if you're an organizational leader, an entrepreneur, maybe you're just someone who just loves leadership and principles within business and leadership and you're just wanting to get more, we would love to hear from you and help you along in your journey, whether that's getting you in touch with one of our faculty to explore some topics of research that they find very interesting, or maybe just you're wrestling with a question that you would love uh, some of our help, and we can do a whole podcast episode on a specific issue uh, you're dealing with, or you just know of an individual who would make a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. So with everything crazy and the happening in the news, it seems the news cycle is just an ever-moving machine of here's what's bad, here's what's going on, here's what's good. We just get so much. And every couple years, maybe every decade or so, there's always a organization who it just lands in the spotlight for terrible reasons. Take Enron in the 90s. You know, Enron was uh, embezzling tons of money, was playing um, basically not by the rules and just garnering tons of cash uh, illegally. And they got caught. They're now, we, they're synonymous with, you talk about corporate um, fraud, cor- eth- ethical breakdowns. Enron's one that comes up you know, 2000s, BP, BP and and the big oil spill that happened in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, whether they, you know, just missed some checks and balances, whether they, they're, you know, all these things that kind of led up to these big company breakdowns, though, I want to make the case that they didn't at one point wake up and say, you know what, today, I'm going to ruin myself and ruin this company and make the biggest, worst ethical decision of my life. And so today we're going to explore, you know, why, like why at some point did these major organizations just fall in on themselves? Why did corruption and why did these ethical breakdowns take place? So joining me today, I am honored to welcome Evelyn Patterson. She's an associate professor of accounting here at Kelly at IEPUI, who specializes in auditing and fraud and has a deep passion for exploring the ethics within business. Evelyn, just welcome and thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I am, I am, I do have a deep passion for this. I do research in fraud. And when I teach my auditing class, Um, I explore cases, both big frauds and small frauds, and we discuss, you know, why they weren't caught and how did they get started and other kinds of situations in business where people need to think a little bit more before they just blindly follow managers, you know. And um, so I start off with, you know, discussing with my students, you know, what is auditing all about? 
And basically auditors gather evidence and evaluate evidence. So accounting is a tool and that's the tool that we use to gather evidence and you can't ignore evidence, okay? And you know, when you are doing that in your job, there's other things, there's other aspects of your job that spill over into this, you know, just casual conversations with your colleagues and that other kinds of things. So I'm just gonna tell you a couple of my stories that I tell my students. Some of them are from personal experience. For example, back uh, when I was an auditor, this few years ago, as you can probably tell, um, or you will be able to tell, I was uh, part of a, a CPA firm, a national CPA firm, and we were auditing the savings and loan. And I went back to school and I came back and talked to some of my previous colleagues. And they told me about the loan officer in the savings and loan who had embezzled like close to $400,000. And this is one case where it started off pretty small. He had access to checks. He needed to pay his loan statement on his, uh, or his loan payment on his car. And so he wrote himself a check and he always thought, well, you know, I'll put the money back. Well, that never happened. He kept doing it and doing it. And he hid this by taking the money out of savings accounts of individuals that lived in Mexico. This was this happened in El Paso, Texas. I lived in El Paso, Texas. And he knew that the auditors sent confirmations out to verify the savings and loan or the, the savings account balances. And that in Mexico, the mail system wasn't very good. So this mail would get lost. And so we'd have to do other things, you know, do other verifications that he could manipulate. And the way he got caught was one of these individuals who held a savings account in Mexico City decided to find out why $100 of his was missing out of a $300,000 balance. So he drove up to El Paso, went to the teller and asked what was going on. And that's how this guy got caught. So many times it really isn't the auditor that finds this, but it's someone outside of the um, organization. And that's what I tell my students too. So when you have your own personal finances, don't forget, don't rely on people. You know, you have to keep mindful of what is going on. So that's one story. And another one that is a little bit closer to what some of them may be doing in the future relates to um, a story that actually, a circumstance that actually happened to an individual called Lee Ann Walker. Now, Lee Ann Walker was uh, a student at a university, got her first job with a CPA firm. And so she went to work and she developed a very good reputation and she was having lunch with her supervisor and her supervisor told her or asked her actually, uh, when she planned to take the CPA exam. And Leanne said, well, you know, I'm studying and I think in a few months I'll be ready, but I don't want to rush it. When in fact, she had already taken all four parts. So she got her results back about a week later. She calls her supervisor, very excited, and says, I passed all four parts. And her supervisor really didn't say anything. And she wondered, gee, you know, why wasn't she excited? Well, it turns out her supervisor remembered 
that she had told her that she hadn't taken the exam. And so she was called into the partner's office and she was given notice that she had to find another job. She was going to be let go. And one of the questions that we discussed is, you know, well, do you think the supervisor did the right thing or, you know, could she have done something else? And some of the students, you know, respond very emotionally and said, oh, they should give her another chance. And this, that, and the other thing, which, you know, we are a very forgiving people, you know, we, we want to see the best in people. However, you have to look at the business nature here. Everybody in the office knew that she had lied and she did it with the idea of enhancing her reputation, obviously. And so it always puts a question in somebody's mind, you know, when they're working with her, maybe on a job, is she going to say something like, I did look at this evidence, but maybe she didn't have time. And to make herself look good, she logged in a lower budget amount for the time she took on an audit when in fact she took, you know, she didn't look at all the evidence. So it could put doubts in people's minds about, you know, how how much she, she's telling the truth in their work with the other auditors. So this becomes a critical thing. And the partners weren't so harsh with her, you know, that they were going to blast out, you know, why she was being let go. Just that, you know, she had to move on. So the moral of the story is, you know, when you're talking with colleagues and at work and other things, you know, you have to be mindful about what you say and, you know, could have repercussions that you don't really anticipate because these aren't casual conversations you're having with a roommate or something like that. And I think that's a great transition into just where a lot of these ethical breakdowns in organizations begin. Because, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, for Enron, for example, I mean, that's a classic case of corporate failure and ethical malfeasance. You know, I, I don't believe, and I could be wrong because I don't know the individuals, I don't believe someone wakes up and decides, you know what, today I'm going to steal $1 billion and, uh, you know, like I'm going to go from a great, you know, person who's got good morals to uh, instantly waking up and just stealing and in, in, in corporate um, and committing these corporate frauds, it does start small. And I think that's a great point to drive home, especially with that case you just built, is that, like you said, what what's to stop her from trying to make herself look good and saying one thing later on when really she didn't do it? And talk about, my question to you is, for organizations that do find themselves in the news and for negative reasons, where does a lot of this uh, fraud begin? Where does this breakdown start within an organization? Well, from the auditing perspective, we always look at three things called the fraud triangle. So usually uh, in assessing the risk of fraud from an auditor's point of view, you think about the incentives that they have in the firm. You think about the opportunity that they have, you know, um, can they get away with it kind of thing. And then the, you look at rationalization, okay? So this, is, this is resides for, from the corporate point of view, this resides in the system of internal control. So what the auditor looks for is a strong leadership, which we call tone at the top, the control environment, where management emphasizes heavily um, 
integrity and so on, and that the organizational structure is such that it's harder to commit from. Many, uh, well, many corporations or all corporations to some extent have a risk of fraud called override fraud. Managers have the ability to override fraud because they can compel maybe their underlings to do what they say for fear of losing their job. So that's another thing. That's another thing in terms of lower level employees. They can't just blindly follow what managers tell them all the time because they have to think about this. And talking with students from past classes, there's probably more of these little instances of unethical behavior that are going on more so than I probably ever imagined. Like just convincing somebody to alter a billing and then sending it to some, somebody. Now you're on the line, not just the manager. You can't just say, well, the manager told me to do that. Now you're on the line for committing mail fraud because you sent something through the mail that wasn't true. So you have to be careful of that as a lower level employee as well. And um, we were just going over a case last night called Cost Incorporated. It is a technology company and they started out by manufacturing headphones. And the CEO had a archeological background, educational background. He didn't know anything about accounting, but he did hire somebody who did know about accounting, but wasn't a CPA. And supposedly she started embezzling funds through wire transfers and cashier's checks in order to pay off her American Express card because she claimed that she was a compulsive shopper. Well, after this fraud was discovered, it turned out that she had embezzled about $34 million over a 10 year period. And she confessed that she said uh, to the people that she was talking to in terms of uh, the authorities, she said, you know, I thought I'd be caught on day one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that didn't happen. So how did she do this? Well, she funneled funds out of the cash account. And at the end of every year, she knew that the cash in didn't balance out with what was being paid down on accounts receivable. So there were no entries to accounts receivable at the end of the year. And she just used all that cash coming in so the bank reconciliation would balance. And then after year end, she would make the entries to the customer accounts to show that they had paid money. So there was a failure in auditing big time because they should have recognized the break in the pattern of you know, credits to accounts receivable, i.e. payoff of accounts receivable. And um, it, it's just quite remarkable that she was able to get away with this. Uh, yeah, that's insane. I mean, $34 million, my jaw hits the floor thinking right. about that much. And and the fact that, I, you know, that much money, you think at some point just goes, how do you miss that much money? Like if you're running exactly. a company, you know, but people find ways because clearly here's a case in point where someone did. And I want to go back to uh, the example of, you know, the, the previous example you gave where maybe some people are still thinking, man, why would they let someone go? I mean, she made an innocent little mistake on on lying. It was a very small white lie. Like, why would someone let her go over the fact that 
she lied about when she was taking her exam. It doesn't seem like it doesn't appear to be something that is, you know, wrong, quote unquote, through through that lens. But I, I would like for you, you know, since you've seen organizations commit fraud, you've studied case study after case study, I'd like to hypothetically play out that scenario where this where it started with maybe one lie about her CPA and then how that could ripple into her being the next person that that somehow finds herself with 34 million dollars in her bank that she illegally obtained you know talk about you know the the importance of that one small decision of of kind of making herself look good in that moment and how that ripple could ripple out in the future she could follow that pattern. Many people develop a pattern of um, where they're, they're lying and I would say not telling the truth. I mean, an example is Z-Best carpet cleaning company. That's a pretty um, famous fraud where we have Barry Mincow, who started out as a teenager developing this company. And he was called... Um, what they call quote unquote a rug, rug sucker, you know? So they, they went out and cleaned carpets and then he got into restoration and all. And it kind of snowballed on him. And so he was caught and he um, was sent to prison. And then he had an epiphany in prison where he said, you know, oh, you know, I'm okay. And uh, I see the light and he becomes, uh, I don't know what denomination a pastor gets out of prison. And then he is a pastor at a large church. He goes on 60 Minutes and all these shows. And he's a, he's a consultant for people to catch people committing fraud. And then a few years later, this didn't happen too many years ago, but he was found to be embezzling money from the um, donations in his church. So the thing is, is that, yeah, you start out small, but you get used to that pattern of kind of rationalization, you know, part of the fraud triangle where you, where you think you, you start to believe it's okay. It's just a little bit and these people can afford it and that kind of thing. And it becomes just part of your life, you know, and so it's hard to break that down. I mean, Barry Minkow is a perfect example of that. You know, people thought, oh, he's seen the light. He's doing good work now. And then, okay, he's back in prison again because, <laughs> you know. And so I guess in answering your question, it may look innocent now, but you just, you have to nip this in the bud because it can, it can turn, it can snowball into something bigger. Sure. And you want to protect yourself and you want to protect your company. So I want to kind of shift focus a little bit. And and for organizational leaders who are running companies, working hard, are trying to run everything by the books, be very ethical, which I believe a majority right. uh, of organizations strive so to. Too. They strive to. You know, it's not yeah. it's not like a vast majority of people are waking up and saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna steal, I'm gonna cheat, I'm gonna defraud." I think there's you know there's you know a few bad apples that make the whole right. bunch look bad. Right. Um, right. So for but, you know, at the same time, you know, especially with large organizations uh, where maybe a, a, a CEO or an entrepreneur or uh, upper management may not have such direct um, ties to lower management, frontline management, where, you know, some of this stuff could begin um, to take place. 
And so uh, auditing obviously is not a fun word. You know, it's not a fun word when someone says we need to audit. I mean, you, you, the eye rolls, huffs, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, but but I think it's very important. And I think, you know, instead of waiting for an outside organization or outside company to come in or a third-party auditor to start really cracking open, it does need to start with leadership and them being aware of what's happening within their organization. So my question is, if for organizational leaders who are really trying to, to, do, to, to work hard um, to make uh, ethical income and to uh, build an organization that, that does improve the lives of not just the people that are employed, but the people that they are working with outside their walls, how does an organizational leader begin to uh, be aware um, or where can an organizational leader just start to look within uh, to to just make sure, hey, we're we're marching okay? Like, uh, let, let's start there. Like, where where can organizational leaders begin to look for some cracks? The SEC now requires, you know, along with the audit, is for managers to look over their internal control system and report themselves on internal control. So. In what you're asking, it's really embedded in this idea of internal controls, that tone at the top, and then making sure you have competent people in place that can do the job that they're hired to do, and that they don't have too much power. You know, you don't want to have someone in place that can authorize a transaction, have an access to assets, and do a recording. I mean, that's recipe for disaster, like an embezzlement. You know, they can write themselves a check, they get the cash, so they have access to the cash, and then they can make a recording, you know, record that transaction to cover up credit cash and debit some expense amount. And so you want to make sure your controls are really strong and that you have a good organizational structure and make it harder for somebody to commit those kinds of uh, acts. I mean, you don't want to assume people are going to do it necessarily, but you want to make it harder, right? You know, like when you have kids, you want to make it harder for them to, um, you know, not counter the um, requirements that you have for them in place. Because, you know, sometimes, like you said, they may be um, tempted and it might start out small and they have the intention, I'll put the money back and that kind of thing. But sometimes that just never happens. So you wanna make sure you have a strong control structure in place. And the, the components of internal control are control environment, information systems, control activities. Control activities are things like having one group of individuals check the work of another, Make sure that there's this separation of duty so that one person doesn't have too much authority or power that they can implement, you know, these kinds of acts. And then you want to have some sort of monitoring as well, maybe another layer of uh, internal control or something like that. And that depends on how big the company is. Like this cost corporation, what should have been happening is that the manager, the CEO is supposed to exhibit oversight over what's going on. And he knew he admitted in his deposition that he was supposed to exercise oversight, but he never did. And if he'd done that, you know, there's a lot of ifs here, you know, the thing couldn't have gone on. So you just have to stay aware. 
And then even previously, so, you know, now kind of shifting again to the other side, let's say for those individuals who are under management, maybe uh, frontline workers, maybe just team members, you know, maybe just people who are just within an organization and um, have individuals who maybe are asking questionable ethical expectations of them. You know, like your example, you said, you know, when you have someone that's asking you to kind of shift the bill and then mail it out. Now, all of a sudden, not just that manager is on the hook, but you are on the hook because you actually did it. You know, talk about that individual, because obviously, like you said, you know, if, if someone is asking something of you and they're in a leadership position or a place of authority within an organization that does bring about a a pressure of, do I do this to appease them? So I look good. Therefore I don't get fired or do I stop? say question it or say look this is not right and stand up for something that I I think is wrong but then obviously that fear comes in of this could be my job you know that I I could be gone talk about what should individuals do who find themselves in that position and and it's not like they're saying hey you know obviously if some manager says change this number a hundred dollars or you know a thousand dollars or a million dollars someone's gonna go dude yeah right like come on we can't do that (laughs) but it's like the the one dollar hey you know just 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 like two dollars let's round it up you know let's let's do these little things that 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 you're you're kind of on the fence where it's like yeah I, i know it's wrong but it's not like wrong, wrong, right? You know, how do those individuals stand up and say, you know, tell their uh, leadership, look, I'm sorry, but I have to respectfully um, decline because I want to be a person of ethics and values. Well, I think a good way that an organization can attack this problem is to have mentorship people, people that are mentors within the organization. So that if someone's having a problem like that, they can go talk to their mentor and then they can intercede for them maybe with upper level management. Now, if you don't, now a lot of auditing firms have that in place nowadays. They have these individual mentors that you can go to and, you know, air your grievances. But if you don't, if you're an organization that maybe doesn't have that or it's not big enough, I would say that you stand firm and maybe the manager will back off And in standing firm, I mean, you don't have to do it in a mean way. You can just point out to them, you know, where their thinking is wrong. And if that doesn't work, I would go to somebody above them. Now now that in some organization, that's a a big no-no where you go above the next level, you know, but in any case, you know, the thing is you, you have to protect your own reputation. So somewhere down the line, you know, this could be a bigger request and a bigger request. And so at some point, you're going to have to just say, no, I, I can't do that. And if you've already done a few things, it is going to make it harder for you to go get that next job. So you just have to stand firm about what your beliefs are. And we go over a case like that where we have some young staff auditors who are up against the clock to finish an audit and the... the um, manager comes in and says, we have to finish this on set. This was Friday. We have to sit, finish this on Saturday. And all our promotions are on the line because we've been over budget in many of our audits and we have to stay within the budget here. And so now these staff auditors are faced with this dilemma. Should we cut down on the amount of invoices we look at or the evidence we collect? Or should we... Um, quote unquote, what we call eat time, do the work 
and then write down a lower number that we actually took to, to, to the budget? Or do we go talk to this manager, you know, and try to convince him that, okay, if you want to do it within a smaller number of hours, we have to figure out a way that's different than what's in the audit program. So we explore all of those things. I mean, the consequences of eating time, for example, is that next year when they do the budget, they usually take last year's budget and shave off some hours. So now you're in a bigger hole than you were previously. So that, that's not a good solution either. And um, yeah, so we do talk about that to some extent. You, know, you have to find ways to communicate with people and still stand firm on you know, what you believe in. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you're at an organization that is asking of you to do things that compromises your ethical code or, you know, compromises what you believe and you stand firm and you do get fired, I think at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to be more at peace in that yeah. organization because you can look back and say, you know what, I know I did what's right. Exactly, exactly. And they're not going to be coming after you. I mean, they, may, they might come after you to find, you know, um, evidence about what else went on, but you know, you're clean. Again, Evelyn Patterson, she is the Associate Professor of Accounting here at IUPUI Kelly School of Business. Just want to thank you so much for bringing so many great stories um, and really helping us explore the issue of ethics within business. You're very welcome. I really, I appreciate doing it. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.